You are listening to the No Formula Podcast, episode number 11. From quitting their jobs and surviving off peanut butter to getting over $500,000 in funding, Guillaume Hervé, Patrick Saint-Amand, and Jonathan Magoon founded Zetane, a better means to showcase AI work. After years of hard work, they recently moved into an office space and are excited to help more AI teams bring their projects to life. In this episode, the team discusses the technology they developed, how they validated the concept, and tips on how to get funding. Visit Zetain.com to find out how to work with Guillaume, Patrick, and Jonathan. In the meantime, continue listening to hear great advice for new entrepreneurs, like why you need to get rid of your safety plan in order to succeed. The No Formula Podcast offers a glimpse into the lives of real entrepreneurs who possess a variety of experiences and backgrounds. Through raw conversations, learn about their passions, journeys, setbacks, and milestones. Join host Laura L. Bernhardt as she confirms that there is, in fact, no formula to success. Get inspired and stay motivated throughout your entire journey. Subscribe today. Hello, everyone from Zetane. Thank you for joining me today. It's uh, great to be here. Hi. Hi. Hello, hello. So today we actually have three guests with us. And I was just thinking, let's go around the table so everyone can introduce themselves and uh, tell us about your role at Zetane. Sure, I can start. So my name is uh, Guillaume. I'm I'm the uh, the the co-founder and uh, and CEO of, of Zetain. So uh, in in a typical startup, I guess uh, the role of CEO kind of covers several things, uh, not just sort of the business, but the finance and the uh, admin and the uh, sales and marketing aspects. Uh, trying to get all that organized, you know, with the help of Jonathan and uh, and Patrick. And um, yeah, I come from a background of uh, high tech. So I've been in high tech, specifically in the modeling simulation and visualization space for well, a big part of my career. And uh, I've been involved with startups uh, for probably seven, eight years now in the Montreal ecosystem. So places like Founder Fuel and Techstars and District 3 and uh, CTS, and I'm missing a couple where I've worked with entrepreneurs, specifically in the high tech or, uh, or medical space. And, uh, and one day outside of that actual ecosystem, I met the team, Patrick and Jonathan, and we made a go of, of the thing. Awesome. And, and Jonathan? My background is as a full stack engineer. Uh, so at Zetain, I'm my title is the chief architect. And that means a lot of talking with customers, uh, working on the product and trying to deliver a great product that people get a lot of value out of. I've worked in startups for a few years now, and I went through um, Techstars Boulder back in 2016. So I'm familiar with a lot of their methodologies at my previous company. Before that, I was at a big company at Xerox. So I'm happy to be in a startup. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and Patrick? Yeah, hi. So um, I'm the co-founder and CTO of Zetane. Uh, my background is uh, pretty mathematical. I'd say I did a bachelor in maths and physics and also went to the master did, did computer science and mathematics. 
Then I went at the PhD level in category theory, which is abstractions of abstractions in mathematics. But really, this was my kind of academic life. On the side, all my spare time went to working on the foundations of mathematics. I was kind of looking for a way to represent all, represent all concepts with the same language. I, I realized that there was a lot of ways to do things and present things. I wanted to find those kind of atoms of concepts and build a unified language for mathematics and science. So I worked on that a lot, well, maybe a, a lot, a few times overnight. And uh, a math problem, a right? Things. Yeah, really math stuff, you know. Patrick <laughs> <laughs> uh, has called it his math problem before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it is. Yeah, it can be seen as a problem sometimes, but uh, you know, it's getting better. And uh, yeah, so I worked on that, and I came up with kind of a system. And I guess from then on, there's a. Uh, Kind of a longer story, but if you want me to go on with this one, but uh, yeah, of course, tell us some more. Well, I mean, so with the language, I realized that it needed to be implemented, and uh, because I realized it could be applied to 3D meshes, 3D objects, and different other domains. So I made a prototype, uh, I programmed a prototype for this, and then uh, that's kind of the pre Zetain, and then um, I met Guillaume. And uh, and John, and then we realized that we had something there that we could create like a universal engine, and at the same time, the um, kind of the new powerful technology, which are uh, neural networks, came along with uh, came came at a point where they're really mature, and we realized that, that with the language and the neural networks, there would be a pretty impressive synergy where uh, we could do a lot from there. So that's how things came along. Before we get into Zatine and what it's all about, how did you guys meet? Well, I, uh, I'll start, I guess. So, uh, you know, my, my introduction to Patrick was uh, uh, via my wife. So, as I said, I was heavily involved in the, uh, in the uh, startup uh, ecosystem here in Montreal, but I had not run into uh, Patrick or Jonathan. Uh, Patrick was doing his own thing and uh, having a full-time job uh, as a as a professor at a uh, local uh, local college and uh, one day my wife came home and said look I met this guy Patrick and he's a nice guy and he has this great idea and I told him that you helped uh, startups <laughs> and so uh, so my wife kind of said I promised you'd kind of help him so could you kind of help him <laughs> and so uh, so my wife being my wife I said yeah and uh, I ended up meeting Patrick subsequently in a uh, she was going to meditate, meditation and a sort of Buddhist meditation uh, uh, sort of a, a center where Patrick was and heavily involved. And so I went to a couple of sessions. We met up. He uh, showed me, talked to me about his ideas and uh, he showed me his prototype that he actually had coded on, a, on his computer. And uh, I said, okay, I'll help you. So uh, that led to uh, a coffee uh, every couple of weeks where we'd meet at a you know, at a chapters or a Starbucks or a local coffee shop, and I sort of guide him along. So it was really just uh, sort of a friendly uh, help that I was giving, and eventually that led to Patrick saying, "You know, I'd really like to start a business with this. Would you know, could you get involved more significantly?" Which uh, which is what sort of led to me getting involved with Patrick. 
and I knew that he uh, he was very fond of uh, of uh, Jonathan and thought highly of him technically and as a person. So uh, I said, "Well, okay, if you have uh, this Jonathan guy, which I never met, but the first time I met Jonathan was by phone or by Skype, I think Jonathan, and uh, you know we had a good chat. You know, I felt that Jonathan was was genuine and had good values, and you know, I, because I've seen so many startups and I've been involved on the investment side as well." You know, in the world of VCs, uh, venture caps, we we always said that you know you invest in the team first and in the technology second. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I felt that Jonathan and Patrick were very strong in their respective backgrounds and uh, complementary to what I could bring. You know, and so that was very important to me. And uh, years ago, when I left the corporate world, I had decided that I would only work with people that I wanted to work with that I could you know, that I would value, have fun and, and respect. And uh, they came across as two people that fit that description very well. So that led to uh, to the formal partnership of, of the Zatane co-founders. That's awesome. Out of curiosity, how long did it take from you meeting Patrick to actually thinking that, okay, this is good good for a company? That's a good question. Uh, I would say that uh, I started, I think it was in two steps. The first step was getting a real sense of of the technology, but more importantly, its application to real world problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Patrick is an extremely, uh, extremely intelligent person who sees the world differently than you and I. I think he sees the world in 3D or maybe 4D for that matter. And uh, and so he he, he was able <laughs> and so he's able he was able to verbalize a vision well beyond just the engine mm-hmm. and so that appealed to me and so the first thing i did is i introduced him to uh you know our very strong uh, intellectual property firm here in montreal that i knew well and i said let's validate that this technology you know really is different so that let's not invest a lot of time and energy and effort only to find out that everybody else is doing it and and you know and and you're infringing something yeah and so we did that and that really helped i mean we 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 impressed the uh our ip uh firm enough that uh they wanted us enrolled in their in their uh, in their startup program so that was very good uh and so that was step 1 i think step 2 for me was when Patrick said, you know, I, I'd like to make a business of this. I said, well, that means you'd be willing to quit your current job. You know, are you willing to quit your job and, and, and just dive into this? Because at some point, that's what it's going to take. You can only go part-time so long in, in the mm-hmm. high-tech world. Uh, and so, you know, he, he thought about it and he came back to me and he said, you know, if, if you're willing to be the CEO, I'm willing to quit and, 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 and just dive in. So that was the, uh, you know, so that to me was the sort of second phase that in my head, I said, well, you know, it's, uh, I, I believe in the tech, I believe in Patrick and I'm, and I believe in what Jonathan brings to the table as well. And he was willing to quit his job and they can tell their own story. And, and so to me, that was the test, right? Either you commit or you don't. Yeah. Um, and so having seen a lot of startups and a lot of startups fail and several succeed, I went, that is a very, you know, those are the two ingredients. I trust the technology. I trust a longer term vision and ahead of the technology, I trust the team even more so. So uh, to me, that was, uh, those were the good indicators. Yeah. John or Patrick, do you want to add to about your story? I met Patrick through a meditation center. 
Yeah. I really need to go to this meditation center. <laughs> we have, uh, <laughs> well, you're close. You're in a closet on a cushion, so you're halfway. <laughs> yeah, no one needs to know that, okay, thing, Guillaume? Right? <laughs> <laughs> this is not calming in here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, John. Sorry, John. Oh, Sorry. yeah, no problem. Uh, so, so I met Patrick. Um, he came out here for some of the retreats that we've had in Denver and I have visited Montreal for some of the retreats in Montreal. So meditation retreats that we've had. And when Patrick was out here, he, we started talking about math and technology and he actually showed me the prototype as well. Talked a little bit about the concepts behind what he was working on and what he was thinking about. It was really, really interesting to me. Um, both like Yom said, both the technology and the vision of where Patrick saw what was kind of a, you know, it's like a, a fundamental set of ideas, but but the potential applications for the ideas were really broad and really general and um, really novel, I thought. Seeing some of the, the stuff that the prototype could do from just very simple implementation, for example, uh, generating a series of fractals based on two or three rules that were repeated uh, continuously and, and generating these like massive fascinating structures from basically nothing. It was just really, it was really cool to see. And then to, to talk about all the potential places where it could be applied was also really interesting. So Patrick and I uh, kept talking about it. I also learned about Guillaume, how much value he was able to bring to the company. And uh, at a certain point, like Guillaume said, we, we decided that to go all in on the project and not just do this thing where we work on the nights and weekends, but actually uh, put our, our chips on the table, I guess. So, so yeah. I, I know you guys have been working at this for a while, but when did you guys go all in? So I, I quit my job, my full-time job in my last company in February of 2018. So almost exactly two years ago. Oh, I didn't realize it was that long, actually. Yeah, yeah I think was... we were like um, for a couple of maybe six seven months it was basically me and john working and we had uh, omar part-time mm -hmm. and um at some point yeah i had also quit my job which is uh i was teaching which is a really really nice job it's really fun teaching mm -hmm. but uh <laughs> I, he cannot have both he cannot have a, a fun startup and fun teaching so mm -hmm. so yeah so that one of them had to go and uh and the thing is that when you, I kind of have this thing that when I start something, I make sure I finish it. So I had starting this project. So to me, I had to finish it and teaching is never finished. So that's, uh, that's okay. <laughs> well, that's a great attitude to have. A lot of people don't finish their projects. So I'm asking this because it's all led up to what is Zetane today. And I want to ask you more about what is that? <laughs> Zetane is, uh, you know, is a team of people now that, uh, uh, that is building what we believe to be, you know, the first true uh, uh, software that provides, uh, you know, very transparent and accessible insights into machine learning and deep learning, uh, and uh, and does so in a, you know, based on the technology that's our own uh, intellectual property. So it's what a lot of companies are referred to as a deep tech company in that sense. So. You know, so that's what it is from a business perspective. I think from a from a values perspective, one of the things that we did very early on was to spend a lot of time talking about what's important to us for this business outside of the financials. Uh, 
mm-hmm. like what how do we want to change the world and, and how do we want to impact the world and so we spend quite a bit of time on on the values of the business around collaboration and trust and and uh you know and uh, respect uh souls attain is also a lot of that it's a lot of the values uh that we uh, we hire from you know we always say we hire first the values and second the, uh, the competencies and uh and you know we've built a team that's extremely at least in my view and the guys can chime in but that's extremely collaborative extremely uh fits very well together uh you know diversified but but brings different uh different things to the table so yeah it's it's a business it's a tech but it's also a group of people with very similar values and and a lot of respect around each other's contributions that, mm-hmm. that's that's my two cents does anyone else want to add well, I'd say like, um, so when we hire, we always look for people that, um, I mean, there's a French word, which is called débrouillard, which is uh, resourceful. Mm-hmm. So so basically that's our, it's people that are curious and kind of are, I don't know, hands-on and they're ready to kind of explore and like have this, this enthusiasm and really open-minded. So we try to build a, the team around this. And I think, uh, I guess that's what makes it really dynamic and it gives us the chance to move fast and be happy about this and having fun and discovering new things and while keeping a very good focus because that's also um, the other thing if we're too scattered and we explore too much too much curiosity needs to be sometime to be focused to towards a product that will be useful to people so we kind of mm-hmm. it's a matter of managing those to and be able to find the right balance but i think at the source it's the people and the interaction that will create uh, something brilliant or something that works really well and yeah just for everyone listening i kind of want to go deeper into what zatine offers it's and correct me if i'm wrong please it's a video imaging processor for ai like machine learning Close, but yes. not close enough. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> Damn it! Yeah. I failed. So, no, no, you've done a bit of it. You can, you can tell you've done your homework. Uh, so, because our, because our, our, our tool is so visually compelling, mm-hmm. a lot of people' uh, first impression is, oh, you're a visualization engine. You know, you, you're, you're able to, you know, give us great videos of what's happening in ML. But, but the platform is a lot deeper than that. So, it's a software tool. Uh, which allows you to uh, visualize your uh, machine learning models in a 3D environment or a 3D workspace, as we like to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it allows you to launch any of your uh, machine learning or any of your algorithms from your existing uh, existing AI framework that people use in the industry today. Mm-hmm. And you know, with uh, uh, one line or two line, you you go from seeing your 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 model in a bunch of lines of codes or libraries, to seeing your model in a three D object oriented space, where all of a sudden uh, everything makes a lot more sense. Uh, everything is uh, accessible. So we do away with what a lot of the industry is referring to as a black box problem. We allow you know, through the machine, you're able to go inside the layers of a machine learning uh, model and, and see everything that happens within it, uh, the data going through it, the way the machine sees and learns and interprets that data and thinks about it, and then how it generates an output. And so, we, you know, it's, it's really about opening up the black box, 
to give developers the ability to do their work more effectively because they see things they wouldn't see otherwise. So they're more efficient at the debugging and the optimization. We also, because the engine is so uh, visually compelling, we create very, very high uh, fidelity simulations that allows the AI experts to talk to the business experts or the domain experts, you know, that have to bring the sort of real world uh, view of what whatever solution has to do. And so, uh, which is a big problem in the industry, uh, having the AI experts speak to the non-experts. So we are able to do that now through our platform. And the same platform, because you're able to tie the AI to the simulation, allows you to do uh, significant QA, quality assurance of uh, machine learning models before they get deployed into the real world, where mm -hmm. if they're not properly QA'd, they can cause problems, as, uh, as, as a lot of people know. Um, and so, you know, the general public out there has a fear, you know, of AI, right? If you talk to the average person, they, yeah. they're fearful of AI. And so what we've done and what we're continuing to do is to open up AI, to make it more visible, to make it more accessible so that people can trust what's actually going on before it enters the real world. So you're dealing with people who are already using AI. Correct. Okay. So that means, cause I don't know, to me, I feel like there's a portion of every industry that are very hands-on and very into AI, but then there's also a large portion that haven't really kind of scoped it out yet. So, so what you just said, you may just made me really happy because that is our target customer. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, the, 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 uh, and John and, and, and Patrick can do a better job, but I'll just say, uh, you know, one thing is for the people that have already created huge machine learning or AI departments, mm -hmm. you know, they, they've got all kinds of tools that they've actually either developed themselves or found on the open source and, and they're putting it all together. Yeah. It may not be perfect, but it works. But what we're finding is you have a huge market space, which is all the other people, and they could be big companies, but they just don't have a mature or a big enough AI group yet. Yeah. And, and, and instead of reinventing everything and recreating everything, well, what we're saying is part of that, just use the team because you'll save yourself a lot of work and a lot of effort. Uh, so our target customer is that group of that small AI group could be within a small, medium or huge company because we've seen mm -hmm. all of them. Mm -hmm. that, that wants to scale up quickly and wants, you know, easier to use and easier to learn uh, toolkits. And that's where we come in. And I'll let Jonathan and Patrick yeah, add. Cause yeah, yeah. I wanted to, to chime in on that one. Um, I mean, it, there's some interesting parallels to what Patrick said about curiosity and focus, right? So I think a big piece of the tool is helping people understand what's going on in mm -hmm. things that are that are complicated, but also comprehensible. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you think of Patrick's background as a professor who's explaining math, right? Math can be complicated, but it, it's explainable. And so there's, there's a similar aspect of understanding that happens when you're using a, a, a debugger as a software engineer, you're, you're trying to understand what's going wrong with your program. You're trying to understand how to improve it. You're trying to understand how to make it faster or better in some way. And then, you know, something like a, a deep neural network or an AI model, uh, they're, they're complicated, but they're understandable, they're comprehensible, and they're especially understandable in kind of a three-dimensional way, in a visual way. Uh, when you start seeing the concepts in those places, in that kind of space, all of a sudden the concepts start to make a lot more sense a lot more quickly. 
and I can, I can kind of, I'm speaking from personal experience here because, you know, I didn't start as a machine learning developer. I don't have a PhD in statistics or mathematics. I have a undergraduate degree in philosophy, but seeing, uh, seeing data move through a neural network in a visual way, seeing how the intermediate information changes based on what the, the model and what the algorithm is doing in a visual space, you just, you understand it almost immediately. You start to comprehend like, oh, okay, that's, that's what you're talking about. Instead of like when you're looking at a series of mathematical symbols or, you know, a description of an algorithm with words, it can be really hard to understand, you know, what, what all the various characters mean and what, what they all indicate. But when you see it actually happening, you're like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, that's really actually not that complicated. And people are kind of holding, holding these concepts hostage <laughs> behind, uh, a very set of specialized knowledge. So I, uh, I, I mean, that's part of the vision to me in the company that, that Patrick really um, made really exciting to me was, you know, let's take all these things that are, that are challenging for people, but that are completely comprehensible and let's, let's unlock that door, you know, let's let more people get into this and understand what's going on and, and use it to accelerate their business or accelerate their own personal uh, interests or their own personal projects or whatever. Yeah, that's awesome. Patrick, I don't know if you want to add something. Yeah, sure. So, so I guess in a few words, it's a MR machine for neural networks. I mean, uh, in a way, when we look at brains, we can use M MRIs and this, the expert will be able to read them, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's three MRI or, or a scan, then the doctor will be able to read them, but you will be also able to show it to the patient or show it to other experts and also keep a log of all this. So it's going to be that that picture can travel through so many stakeholders. So we're doing the same thing for, for AI and neural networks, which in this case, they're artificial brains. And uh, so we're basically seeing them in real time. So we're taking an image of it or a 3D image of those neural networks. And this allows us to share with different stakeholders, which is people that have never seen a neural network or, or other experts or the, the expert, the data scientists themselves. So, so this allows, the engine allows us to share this all over uh, with a single image and something that's really dynamic. That's from one aspect. And also we have um, more than what we can, that MRIs can do. We can make those uh, shareable unit really interactive so that people can start interacting with them. Uh, so it's kind of interactive MRI for neural networks in a way. So that's, um, so this way people are able to accelerate their um, development pipeline from the developer up to the product owner, up to the client that the product owner will be seeing. So we're really making this process agile. So that's our that's our focus at the moment. You guys are making it very easy for people to use AI and then share what they found with everybody. If yeah. I understood correctly, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So is it possible, and you don't have to mention any people that you're working with, but is it possible to give us a business case on how a end user would use Zetane? Uh, yes, uh, one of the areas that, that we're getting a lot of interest and traction in uh, is uh, anything to do with uh, uh, machine learning related to treating images or uh, videos, you know, anything visual. 
And so, uh, so we have several cases where we've done proof of concepts and, uh, uh, and converted them to actual first paying clients mm -hmm. uh, where they had developed uh, a standard machine learning model, you know, in the regular infrastructure that people typically use today, whether it's Python or, or, or leveraging Keras or other types of tools out there. All these tools um, that I'm very familiar with. Yes. Yeah, right. So you've got like, there's, <laughs> there, believe me, there are a lot of them. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and everybody ones, has, right? Everybody that's has like the their, Amazon and the Facebook, right? Of machine learning? Pretty well. Like you've got, you know, a couple, you got two, three other big ones. And then after that, uh, you know, uh, a bunch of others. And uh, yeah. so we had clients that basically said, hmm, you know, is, is it possible that your technology is attained technology is actually doing what you say it can do? And he said, yeah, of course, it's, it's our software. We know it can. So, uh, you know, one example uh, was uh, a company that was uh, looking at uh, taking satellite images and interpreting what those satellite images uh, were actually uh, 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 were in terms of what they were recognizing. And then labeling those images in terms of very specific, uh, you know, uh, applications. So uh, they were, in their case, taking uh, pictures of uh, roofs. But the roof picture from a satellite is a 2D image. Mm -hmm. and so you lose a lot of information. So the, so the machine learning goes through that 2D image and tries to create a label. Is it a flat roof? Is it a slanted roof? Is it multifaceted? Is, is there an entrance on the roof? Is there a hole of some sort to, to you know, if it's, a, if it's a flat accessible roof, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so they, they had done this algorithm. It, it, was, it, it was working to some degree, but they couldn't explain how it was actually working. And their client base needed to know how, and their developers wanted to know how so they could optimize how accurate that algorithm was. Mm -hmm. And so they were able to launch Zetain, their model in Zetain. And, and as one of them said, you know, we can finally see inside our model was, was the feedback. And what that meant was that they could see how the algorithm was working in real time and how the images were being treated and interpreted and each parts of the images given a weight, if you can imagine it that way, as mm -hmm. to what was most important to decide as to what type of roof it was, you know? And so based on that, they were able to make uh, more decisions and, uh, and, 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 and understand how to optimize their model better. But it went further than that, apparently. I mean, this is them telling us the story. Then they took what they saw in Zatain and these were the sort of director slash, uh, you know, group leader of the group. And they were able to walk around the company and show people that weren't that familiar with AI and, and or not believing too much in what the group was doing. And they were going around. And by the end of the day, everybody had bought into what they were doing because they were able to show non-AI experts what these complicated black boxy, you know, untrustworthy algorithms and robots and all these things that scare us <laughs> yeah. were actually doing. And so the buy-in buy from the internal decision makers was crazy in just a couple of days. And then it went beyond that. Then they said, oh, could we use your platform to go to our biggest conference of the year that we were going to attend by showing people Excels and PowerPoints and spreadsheet. And instead we'll show your, your, your the Zetain platform Mm -hmm. And we'll show our model, you know, not in these complicated spreadsheets and graphs, but in a 3D environment that simulates the real world. So they did that. And the customer feedback was amazing. So in that one example, you know, you can see the value prop, right? Yeah. One, the developers got to better, a better handle of their model. 
and therefore make smarter decisions on how to optimize it and improve it. Then they were able to go inside the company and say, this is what we're doing. Can we get more funding and more support? And then they were able to say, now let's represent that business case to an external public of potential clients and show them why our, our idea, you know, is, uh, is, you know, is, is a good one and, and worth considering. So that's the Zetain value prop right there. Okay. So out of curiosity, I'm going to ask what may come off as a not so smart question. Why were they using a satellite to identify roofs? Well, because in there, so think of, uh, think of uh, disaster relief. Okay. okay. Think of disaster relief and you're trying to send a helicopter somewhere in the middle of a disaster zone that may have been flooded or has any kinds of issues. Mm-hmm. And, and you're trying to decide, hmm, there are people on the roof or I need to extract people and they're all on that roof. Can I land on the roof? Can I, can I send somebody on that roof? Uh, and so, okay. you know, once you take, but all you have is a satellite image because there's no other image or you're, you're mm-hmm. kind of in a disaster area. There's no communication. Maybe there's very little, you know, internet, if any at all. And so now you have a lay of the land from a satellite, but you have to interpret it into a real world sort of human way as to, can I do something with that roof? Um, and so that's one example, but you could see an example in a, in a defense application where uh, you're trying to uh, land soldiers or remove soldiers from a dangerous area. Mm-hmm. And you want to know, can I, can I land on a roof or can I drop people on that roof? And so the use of satellite imagery is, 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 uh, commonplace in the world of 3D and, and and so on, but it's because you know images are 2D, mm-hmm. you, you you miss out on a lot of data. Uh, and yeah. if a human had to go through all the images, it would take forever. So what you do is you use machine learning to to make a human decision, you know, at uh, exponentially faster. Uh, but because you're trusting the machine, you really, really, really want to make sure that you understand how the machine is making that decision, how that algorithm is making that decision, because you're making critical, you know, uh, uh, operational decision based on that data. So that's just one example. And you're also mentioning industries that probably are already very much into AI, more than other industries probably, right? Like you said, defense, you know, like... Yeah, but think of, uh, so you can think, if so if you can do the same thing with, uh, you're right, so if you can do the same thing with defense, that same 2D image could, do, could be an MRI from mm-hmm. a medical machine, yeah. right? It could be a photo from a drone on a stadium or on a, uh, or a, on a construction site uh, to, to optimize operations there. Uh, so the concept Transport, of... Or transportation, self-driving car, something like that, robotics, any of those yeah. types of industries. Yeah, because they're probably more into AI than, let's say, finance, right? Yeah, exactly. So now finance has a huge investment in AI because yeah. they're trying, but it's a different. Yeah, but it's not of, modeling. It's not. That's right. It's a different yeah. approach. And, yeah. Uh, okay. And so Jonathan has conducted. Uh, God, he's he's got to be near thirty or or easily forty uh, one-on-one interviews with uh, different uh, people and companies to really hone in on some of their problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he can speak to it really, really well. Like uh, he should jump in because he's got more insights on that than I do. Oh, okay. Jonathan, if you want to give us some examples from your interviews. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think what we found is that when, when the model or the algorithm that you're using has a high uh, bar to pass for being trustable, then using Zetain is um, a valuable thing for you. So when I say trustable, I mean something that has high impact if there's a failure condition. So if you think about something like um, 
like we mentioned, something like robotics, something like construction, defense, medicine. So that's one aspect of it, right? The high trust. And the other is, mm. is um, visual. So in these cases, you know, humans, we have a kind of a natural understanding or we have the ability of, of performing a human-based determination or judgment on what the neural network, what the algorithm should be outputting because we understand the context of the situation, especially an expert who might work in one of these industries who's helping in the development of a machine learning model that's going to, to augment some internal process in the business. Um, they, you know, they can look at an image or they can look at a situation, could be a 3D simulation, some, some kind of context, and they can, they can understand what the network or what the algorithm should be predicting or should be telling, uh, telling you the answer is. Uh, and so in those, in those situations, I mean, those people, not you know, those experts and the people who are determining whether or not that model that AI solution should be put into the real world. You know, they have a high, a high bar for needing to understand why the model is making a certain kind of decision. Mm-hmm. And they need to be able to trust. I mean, if you, if you think about, you know, the, the defense example or something, uh, you imagine in a simulation context of, uh, you know, an operative or, or someone who's getting real-time information, and they need to make a decision now, or, or a, a doctor, right? They need to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need to be able to, to understand why an algorithm or why an AI model is, is saying that this is, the, this is the prediction or this is what the, the course of action should be. And so it's, it's really important in the development of the models that those people, the stakeholders are involved in that process and that the stakeholders are, are shown what the model is doing so that they can say, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense actually. Okay, so it seems like you, you know, the ML person, you're, you're on the right track. So, I mean, that's, we found this is where, you know, our engine can really help companies. And it's not just companies that are really experienced in AI. It's companies that are just getting started in AI. It's companies that are, you know, a little ways down the path. It's mm-hmm. companies that have just heard about AI and are, are interested in understanding what, what's interesting about it. And, and so, the, you know, those are places where an ML developer can take, you know, they can build a model, they can show what's happening to an expert or to a decision maker at the company or to a customer. And they can say, you know, does this look like it's doing the right thing to you? And they can get that feedback and they can go and continue developing a, a better and more trustable model so that they can eventually put that model into actual production and not just have it be a, a fun research project that the team does, but, but something that actually delivers value for their business. Yeah, I think we're going to have to pass by your offices to come see what this model is. <laughs> I, I want to see this in action. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's I, a, lot of, a lot of interesting versions of, of different AI uh, models that you could see and you could you kind of, when you see it happen in real time, when you see it in, a, in like a three-dimensional space, you, you're mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, that's, that's what AI is. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> I, like, <laughs> I want to I have that moment, you know? <laughs> I've been yeah. hearing about AI for years and although I know a little bit about it and I, I understand genuinely, generally what you guys are telling me, I've never actually seen like a visual representation of it. So I'm yeah. interested in, in actually seeing that model. And I just want to go back a little bit. When Guillaume said that one of your customers actually used a team uh, to present at the conference, is it kind of like an application where you can like download the model and then show it to people? Or do you have to open Zetain in a computer, for example, and show the model? 
you would open the model in in Zetane mm -hmm. uh, as a, within within the engine itself, or you could take what you've built in Zetane and turn it into a distributable program that other people could then run. Yeah, so because there's a, there's I'm thinking a, spreadsheet. That's my point of reference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, totally. you can work in a spreadsheet or you can download it or share it, or, right? Yeah, so it is, it is distributable in that, in that way, absolutely. Yeah, and, it, and it, I was going to add, it's Guillaume, I was going to add, like, one of the things that our customers really love doing is, they, they, you know, when you're going to a conference, you can actually uh, run Zetane and, and make a video of it. And oh. so, it, you know, so it makes for a really compelling way of demonstrating because then you can mm. create the video right off the engine. Like, it's not, it's the engine working, but in video. Mm -hmm. And so you can have it looping, right? And people are drawn to it because when you're seeing neural networks, like, you know, in, in 3D firing and activated and, and when you're seeing images go through them and, and you see what each of the pieces of the, you know, uh, the algorithm or the functions are doing to that, uh, interpreting how they're interpreting that image. Uh, it's uh, like, you, you know, some of our customers are saying like, it's hard to get out of Zetane once you've been in it because you feel like you're in a completely different world. My God, it is like uh, Amazon. <laughs> it's no, no. I'm telling you, like you said something that was when you said, you know, I'm, I, I'm, you know, you're, you don't have an expert, you're not an expert in AI. Mm -hmm. and so a lot of the people that have seen our platform have said, well, you guys should certainly try to market it to the whole educational field because it's so much easier to see something and understand it when you're able to visualize what's going on, right? Yeah. So. Uh, you know, I, I like uh, I've seen this so many times. Patrick or Jonathan will sit you in front of a platform, like somebody that doesn't have much of an expertise. And by the time you know five minutes are over, they go, "Okay, now I get AI," you know, and I get yeah. machine learning because I get it. I see what's happening. But if I show you a bunch of code and a bunch of data, you're gonna go, "Well, that doesn't help me." And yeah. so, so there's a there's a natural fit to education, and 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 there's a natural fit so to the clients that we're doing proof of concepts with. There's a natural fit to get engineers and developers that are not AI experts, but they're smart technical people mm -hmm. uh, to ramp up quickly on machine learning through a platform like Zetane. Yeah, that's really cool. I kind of just want to shift gears here a little bit and go back to kind of how you grew the company. So before you said that you, you all quit your jobs two years ago, you got your proof of concept. Then what were the next steps? How did you how did you grow the company into what it is today? Well, I think the first major step was mm. to to get committed to it. So, like you said, quitting our jobs and focusing only on on Zotain. And by the way, when you know the guys are being humble, but uh, th there was no salaries involved when they quit their jobs, jump into Zotain. So, so it's a major commitment, right? Because you're not bringing mm. any money home. It's not there was no money. Like it was just us working. Uh, and so the first hurdle in most startups is can you interest anybody in giving you money, whether it's a grant or a loan or it doesn't matter what it is. Mm -hmm. And so the first hurdle was really to get that first money. And, and we, we, were, uh, we were supported by, uh, uh, by two programs. One was the uh, through the Quebec Innovation Program mm -hmm. for startups. We got money to actually validate our uh, intellectual property. So, you know, IP lawyers can be expensive. The good ones, you know, yeah. for, for, for obvious reasons are, are expensive, but they're very good. And we wanted to go with, you know, the best. So we, we, we did that. And so we were able to get funding to pay for that, to advance our IP uh, along the way. And I'm talking about validating the IP, making sure that there was no infringement, making sure that we had a valid, you know, a valid technology. 
So that was one grant. Uh, the second grant was from uh, the federal side through the uh, federal uh, funding, uh, where we got. Uh, so the first one was about forty thousand. The second one that I'm just talking about was fifty thousand dollars, which helped us with technical resources. So we were able to hire our first, our number one, uh, what we call the number one uh, employee outside of the three of us, mm-hmm. and so with another complementary skill set. And, uh, and it also allowed us to start paying not much, but a little bit of salary to, uh, to Jonathan and Patrick because it had been several months. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so they graduated from bread and water to mac and cheese. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's peanut butter. Hey, improvement is improvement, right? Improvement is improvement, right? <laughs> And so I would say those were the first sort of hurdles that, that, that showed that people believed in what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, it became, you know, are we getting, you know, potential clients interested? And uh, the good news is every time we went to a meeting, we'd always be invited back to a second or a third. Mm-hmm. And so that's always a good sign, right? It's not like yeah. people look at you and say, get out of my office or you wasted my time, which you're always nervous about. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, even with my experience, you're going in there going, I don't want to waste people's time, right? And, uh, and so we had very good uh, listening from uh, people that were either experts at what they were doing in AI or, you know, people that want to get into AI. We always got invited back. So that was sort of the second, you know, real test, right? We're not wasting our time. Uh, there is a need. Um, and I think for me, the, the third one was uh, getting accepted. So we got accepted into the Creative Destruction Lab AI program uh, back in October, which is a highly competitive program in Canada w- running out of Toronto and Montreal. But it's a global competition where they handpick a handful of, of companies mm-hmm. uh, to go through uh, several months uh, where you get access to top mentors, technical uh, business, and uh, investors. And, uh, and so being part of that cohort was another test. And I would say the final test was what we announced a couple of weeks ago, which was the half a million dollar uh, uh, loan that we got from uh, DDC and uh, PME Montreal uh, West Island. Congratulations, guys. Thank you. That's, I didn't uh, tell you yet. Yeah, yeah that's that was, awesome. So, because I, I think everybody is going to be wondering, while you were having your mac and cheese and peanut butter, how, how did you guys get through that? How long did that take to get out of not being paid? Like, that's, that's tough to, to leave your job and something that's comfortable to not having a salary and, and literally just hoping that things work out. Well, I'll tell you that the period was February to, uh, to, uh, to September, I think the first pay that the guy started getting was October, if I'm not mistaken. And I'll let them talk to the pain of that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I mean, I, for me, it's, it's like a very necessary pain, right? Like it's, people would say you want to be hungry, right? Like literally. <laughs> well, that's, that's very literal. <laughs> right. Like, you know, if you're, if you're not able to figure out how to, to generate money, I mean, you're not a business, you're a, a nice hobby a nice stressful hobby I guess but you know it's (laughs) it's like your whole your whole goal is building something that provides value for people and then in return you know that value can can come back to you in some ways as as not macaroni right you know it's uh, (laughs) a it's it's like you know there's no there's no like back padding for 
for starting a company, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're just saying, oh, you know, like I founded something, I'm an entrepreneur, like doesn't mean anything. You haven't done anything. And so there's... <laughs> well, there's also like a one thing that we have to to really say is that we have really, really supportive wives and family. Oh yeah, that's so, true. So, Let's, yeah. I mean, uh, my wife has been like incredibly supportive in every step of the way, and I, yeah. So, so from that point of view, like, uh, that's why I, I could go for the peanut butter and not just like, uh, you know, water. Water. <laughs> <laughs> I think every entrepreneur kind of has that fear when they make the jump. So they're probably wondering like, oh, I'm in a similar situation. At what point do I consider leaving my comfort zone and actually focusing full time on the business that I want to grow? You know, I've seen other people say kind of like, uh, you know, and I, I, I kind of agree with this, which is if you're, if you're just doing it as a, as a part-time thing, right. You, you always have this in your mind. It's, like you always have an escape and you've always got this out of like, yeah. well, you know, well, you know, if the company doesn't work all, well, you know, you know, I'm applying to grad school, you know, whatever, like mm-hmm. that, that kind of that thing in your mind where you're like, you have this backup plan. <laughs> and yeah. like, if to me, it's like, if you really want to be successful, you got to throw that backup plan away and you got to fully get, you have to feel the pain of like, of if this thing goes, goes down, like it's all, there is no backup. Plan. <laughs> and maybe that's not like, the most strategic or personally <laughs> smart thing, but if there's something you believe in and uh, you, yeah. just, you have to, you have to go all the way. Yeah. You're going to give it your all. So I kind of want to get into more detail about the funding. How did you know that these funds were available for your specific industry and what you were working on? And if so, how does one go about getting funding for their business? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, the fact that I was involved in, in the ecosystem uh, for, for years, I, I certainly knew where, where the money uh, uh, was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think one of the challenges that a lot of younger entrepreneurs have is, is they get sort of directed in too many directions as to how to get funding. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, beyond money, I, I've always said this to 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 my team here. To uh, you know, when we talk with uh, with Patrick and Jonathan, and I certainly say it to all the teams I've coached. You know, beyond money, it's it's your time that's your most valuable resource because you know you can always survive on on bread and water, but you only have so many hours in a day, mm-hmm. and so where you spend that time as an entrepreneur is is crucial to your ability to survive, and so. You know, finding the different sources of funding uh, was uh, w- was an important part of that. Now, uh, the other mistake. So we were able to focus on two or three. Like I said, we looked. We knew that uh, I knew there were programs around IP, and Patrick had, had done some work there as well. So we were able to convince him that this was a you know a worthwhile company uh, because this was early. I mean, we we were, in fact, at that point, I, I don't even think we had. Uh, we had just quit. So, I mean, we were just early, early days mm-hmm. and, uh, and we were able to convince, you know, people with our team that we were a credi- credible team with a credible IP and we needed that money to secure that IP uh, in, in Quebec. So that was one thing uh, in parallel, you know, you always try to have two or three avenues of funding because you don't know which one's going to come in. Uh, so don't put all your eggs in one basket. So we had two or three different viable funding uh, approaches. And the one that kicked in was, were the ones that I, that I talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so that was, 
that that was part of it. The other thing is, is it's there's two things, right? There's knowing which funding to go and get, and then there's selling your story, and and the story of each fund is very different. You know, when you're when you're and I don't want to use the word pitching because it's not necessarily a pitch, but when you're when you're trying to secure a fund from a Quebec, uh, uh, you know, a provincial sort of a funding group. Uh, you have to present something that's appealing to Quebec, you know, that is true because it's your story, but is relevant to Quebec. Uh, when you're pitching to, uh, you know, a, a more of a federal funding group, you have to pitch slightly differently because you're trying to create the value proposition that, that resonates with them. More recently, when we uh, secured the PMA Montréal and the BTC money, well, you know, their, their raison d'etre, their reason for being is different than the other two. So you've mm-hmm. got to understand what that is and, and present that story accordingly. Um, and so, so to me, it's, it's a progressive, it's pick, pick your battles, have a couple of parallel paths, but more importantly, adapt your story to each of those, 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 those funding agencies. Uh, we were trying to stay and we've continued to try to stay non-dilutive funding, which means, you know, getting money that doesn't uh, reduce our equity in the business for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. until we're able to secure, you know, some really good customers from which we can then decide how we want to go to the next round of, uh, of funding. So that's been our approach, but every approach is different. It's been ours. I think those are great tips. And now you just, you mentioned that you've got funding. I feel like that's a little shocking after not having any funds for so long. So what is the first move when you, when you get the funds? Well, I think the first move when we got the funds was to actually, it started before the funds. So we were very clear as to how we wanted to, why we needed that money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and we had a couple of discussions, the three of us around, you know, it, it's always around, do I need more tech people or do I need more sales, marketing, business development people, right? Like ultimately, at what point do you, uh, do you, do you uh, sort of go from, purely tech investments and, you know, developers and engineers mm-hmm. to now we need people that can sort of, uh, you know, sell the business, right? So sell the product and sell the, uh, sell the value proposition and so on. And so in the funding that we secured, what we looked at as a team was, you know, how long, how many months do we need at the bare minimum crew technology and business to give us, you know, the traction we needed to get the right number of customers to then, you know, go for a much bigger round of financing if we wanted to later. And so when we looked at that, we, we said we need between $350,000 and $500,000. And we ended up getting five hundred. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was the model. And it was, you know, all around. Uh, so, you know, once you got the money, we're executing the way we planned it is, you know, the long answer. Okay. But, but it yeah. was in the planning that it became important because, you know, it was how many more techs do we really need? to go from an from a from a early prototype to a working beta that people will want to use and try to a paying customer that says I like your beta I'll buy 5 or I'll buy 10 or I'll buy 100 right mm-hmm. and so so that's what we're now executing but you know the one major change that we're all excited about because it happened last week is with that money we were able to move out of my basement where we had been working for 18 months <laughs> to uh, to an actual office, so uh, so now we have real offices, uh, which we moved in uh, uh, t- a week ago. Hey, that's so exciting! Very happy for you guys. Thank you. I mean, I, Jonathan has uh, seen it virtually, 
uh, he saw sort of, he knows where it was because we visited when he was here, but he'll be here mm -hmm. shortly. Patrick, uh, well, Patrick, you can talk about it. You, you've been enjoying well, I the... mean, I mean, there's windows. And, uh, <laughs> 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 I mean, we, we did get light in the basement, but like, uh, now it's like there's a lot of windows in the, there's a conference room. It's a, uh, it's a uh, really, wow, it's fancy. Really so. mm -hmm. <laughs> but also I have to say like, uh, the basement was quite a uh, quite fun i mean uh, we're still a little bit sad a little bit because it's it was a, a lot happened there a lot of uh, exchange for hours trying to figure out like new types of architectures and solving like really difficult problems so there's a lot that happened in in a basement so i mean I mean, some people always talk, think about the garage, but we're in Canada, so there's no way we can do the garage. So no, so. it's way too cold. Yeah, it's Canadian <laughs> basements, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, so anecdote, just for laugh. So a lot of, you know, a lot of startups out there make the mistake of, you know, they they they, they rent offices hmm. way too early, right? So that costs yeah. money, right? You got the rent. It's not just the rent. There's things that go around the rent. Yeah, like all uh, the know, snacks. All the butter. snacks, the peanut butter that yeah. gets out of control. You know, yeah. there's the, 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 the wire, the internet. There's all kinds of things that come with an office. Uh, and so, you know, at one point, uh, after having spent too many meetings in, in, in cafes and Starbucks and places like that, we, we knew we needed a place to work. And, uh, and Patrick really felt passionate about that. So I said, well, you know what? <laughs> we can work out of my garage. <laughs> Because <laughs> I have a two-car garage, so I said uh -huh. I'll get all the garage, I'll get all the cars out, I'll lock down the uh, the automatic doors, mm -hmm. and I have a bit of a heater in there, and we can throw a carpet on the cement floor, and <laughs> they don't do. <laughs> and so Patrick was like, "Yeah, <laughs> maybe." And uh, and so after a few weeks of running that, and I said, "We'll get some shelves, and I get a couple of desks, and it'll be like you know, like a." Uh, you know, like uh, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and all these people, we, we will start out of a garage. And he goes, well, this is not California. This is, this, <laughs> this is Montreal. And so, uh, yeah, the garage would have been way too cold. <laughs> yeah, so, it's not the same. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not the same, right? So it became the, uh, the basement. We upgraded to the basement. But now you can never leave that house. You know that, right? All of Patrick's uh, memories are in there. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot in there. You're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we had uh, Jonathan has stayed at the house. Uh, he was he was living and work. When he visits, he stays partly at the house, which the basement has a guest room. So he's literally sleeping in, in his office. office. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a like you know you live above your your shop, right? Yeah. If you wake up, I wake up and I open the door and I'm at the office. Right. Uh, so much convenience in that, though. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. You guys are so not impressed. You're like, yeah. I mean, you know, they say like work-life balance, but like if your life is you live in your office, it's kind of difficult to maintain something like that. You know? Yeah. Oh. Hey, but you guys, you guys got no, out of that now. I have no complaints. Yeah. Now you guys, you guys are, are moving forward. This is big stuff now. Yeah, it is. You know, there's, I think there's going to be, uh, like any startup, I think there's going to be a Zetain uh, basement and Zetain Pulse basement, you know, and, yeah. uh, and even the team members that, that got to experience that first phase, in a way, have a, have a unique bond, right? Because they've sort of lived that coming in and out of the basement uh, for, uh, well, depending on when they joined, but we did it for 18 months or even more. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm, I'm curious, how did you guys come up with the name Zetane? That's oh, all yeah, Patrick. That one. Yeah, I hear about that that one. So so basically, uh, I mean, wanted uh, to capture a little bit of the mathematics behind this. And also, <laughs> uh, I would say I, I really like the Zeta uh, letter. It's a Greek letter and it's used in mathematics a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wanted to kind of bring in some kind of, some kind of uh, like some energy to that letter. So, so I kind of used the, the ending, which is like methane, butane, and I added that to, to, the, to Zeta, so which makes Zetane, which is an, an, kind of a new type of fuel that's uh, for the oh. future. And then, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. very clever. <laughs> I like it. This is an example of Patrick seeing the world in a different way than the rest <laughs> of us, right? Like, like once he explains though. it, you like you're like oh that completely makes sense like yeah it's it's like math but with like an energetic you know <laughs> an energetic fire twist. to it right? yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely it's like gas <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's yeah it's fueling the future oh new tagline guys oh, yeah. yeah that's a good one <laughs> that's yeah. very good that's very good. <laughs> I really good. like it though yeah. <laughs> next week on the website everything starts yeah. changing there's fire yeah. on it <laughs> although your logo kind of looks like fire yeah. A little bit, yeah. right? Yeah. With okay, the orange, it's not just yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah, it was to try to capture that that energy, you know. Yeah. Okay, so I don't know, but it's not really common to have three co-founders. So I'm wondering, is it difficult to make decisions when you're three co-founders? Should we all, should we all talk over each other? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I I think it's uh it's fine. I mean, there's uh we all have a our strength and uh, I guess we're really, I guess, compatible and we're not uh, competitive with each other. So we really work as a team and all decision has been done as a team. And, uh, and I, I think we all have, I mean, our level of ego is, uh, it's kind of really well controlled. So, so we kind of, all the things we discuss and if there's kind of disagreement, we still talk and we resolve these. So, I think uh, maybe it's uh, we're a really good combination of people and uh, everyone can really try to understand. And I mean, I'm, for personally, I always try to find the optimal kind of agreement and the optimal solution. So I think we all have that aspect where we're looking for the best solution and it's not about who's going to win the argument. So, so that really helps because we sometimes someone sees something in a certain way and then we are able to explain and in the end we're like oh yeah okay so that makes sense and that's how it's going to be because that's the best solution i can add real quick to yeah as well i think i i totally agree with patrick i think there's a really good we bring some complementary skill sets to each other and you know i think from my experience having worked in a big company and having worked in a startup there's and i i see this in in Guillaume and Patrick, there's kind of a natural aversion to, to politics or we call it um, mm-hmm. territory creation or like like empire building, which is <laughs> kind of something that can happen with people who are really into working at a big company, maybe. I mean, uh, it's about, you know, you're building your little, your little protectorate, your little territory and accumulating followers and, and kind of being, being the victor. And um, I don't think we all have the same goal in in building a, a strong healthy thriving company that provides a lot of value to our customers 
So I, I think um, even if we disagree about minor things or we disagree about the way you know, something should be done or the order of things, um, there's a really good give and take and there's a really good understanding of, of you know, when it could be you know, my decision or when it could be Guillaume's decision or when it could be Patrick's decision and for mm -hmm. the rest of us to say, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm totally, totally with you there, so. Yeah, love that. So just before we wrap things up, I want to ask you about a conference that you guys are attending. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that and uh, why it's important? Sure, I, I can certainly chime in. Uh, so in fact, the great news is we're now attending two conferences. Yay! Uh, <laughs> and uh, so NVIDIA, which is uh, you know, a well-known company in terms of the computer chips and uh, high-tech uh, domain has probably what is the most important, biggest uh, business-oriented uh, AI uh, conference in the world, which is uh, uh, GTC uh, 2020, which happens to be in San Jose, uh, third week of March, where you're really exposed to, you know, all of the companies uh, that, uh, that work in the uh, machine learning, deep learning space. And GTC is hosted by NVIDIA because NVIDIA is a huge investor in that, uh, in that market space. And so it's a conference not only that we're attending, but we're exhibiting. So it'll be the first conference that we're actually showing the platform oh, you know, nice. in a very public way. Yeah, so it's very exciting. And so we're going to be there. And at the same time, there's that same week, uh, oddly enough, uh, there's another conference happening in Montreal, the World Summit AI Americas. And, uh, and so same third week of March, uh, it's a shorter conference, two days. So we're going to also be there with a booth, uh, exhibiting and demonstrating uh, the Zetain to the biggest audiences yet, because you know, we've had a lot of one-on-one -on -one meetings in companies, but, uh, and we've attended trade shows where we've kind of shown the platform on our computer to people that we run into. But this will be a very broad, a very public uh, uh, coming out of Zetain and I'm very excited about it for sure. And uh, before saying goodbye, do you guys want to add anything for uh, the listeners? Yeah, I mean, I would add that uh, I think, you know, for people who founded companies, they, they know that things can be really, really difficult. <laughs> Sometimes it can be really hard. Mm -hmm. And I think um, something that really helped me at one point was uh, reading, Paul Graham has an article about building a company. I don't remember the exact title, but one of the quotes in it was basically, you know, your goal as a, a founder or an entrepreneur is to find people who really love your product. You know, build a product that people really love. And even if you just find one of those people, then if you find one person who really loves your product, then all you, you know, you've got something and all you have to do is find more of those same people, basically. So. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, for whatever reason that helped me a lot in this, you know, the world is so huge and that there's a lot of competition and sometimes things can be, you can feel like, oh, you know, who's going to use this? And you find just one or, you know, a couple people and we, we did, you know, we started, we found some people who are really, really excited about what we, what we were doing. And then it's just like, okay, now it's like some life for, for you to, to see like, okay, I can see how how this is something that people can get really excited about, how people will really love. Uh, you, you start to see other people who aren't founders of your company be really excited about what you're working on. And it's really, 
then it's just about finding more of those people. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, I was going to add that, uh, you know, one of the mistakes that I think a lot of startups do is uh, that they don't spend enough time in front of potential customers to, mm -hmm. to, to hear their feedback. And so often the person who plays the CEO role, you know, will do all those meetings, let's say, and, you know, the other two co-founders or one or two or first employees never get in front of those customers. And, and something that we did right from the beginning is, uh, you know, every client interaction that we had uh, involved as a minimum myself and Patrick Jonathan, when he could join us physically, we'd always schedule meetings with clients or he would join in by a video conference. And we'd always bring, you know, as we started getting a couple of employees, we'd always bring most of the time at least one employee. And, and the reason, you know, most people would say, what are you doing? They should be coding. You're such a small team. Your CTO should be doing tech and your, you know, developer should be developing. But, but we felt that it was really important to get everyone to hear when a customer tells you, I like this and I don't like that. It's nice, but it's cool. But you know, all the yeah, buts mm -hmm. that you need to hear. And it's one thing to, to translate it, you know, myself or to somebody else, but when you hear it and when you're exposed to it, it, it brings a whole other level of, uh, of, uh, you know, client intimacy and, and I think perspective. And I think that's helped us because our whole team, like the developer developers that we have, um, have all participated in, in different meetings, not all of them at the same time, but in, in different meetings. So they know what it's like when we're in front of clients, you know, demoing something or, or, or trying to, to understand their needs, you know, they have a feeling for what that looks like and it makes, you know, the work that much more relevant to them. And it creates a sense, I think, of, I think, you know, urgency and engagement. So I think that's, that's a mistake that often, you know, I, or something that's over, over, uh, overlooked is the importance to expose your team to these to these client meetings uh when you uh, yeah when you can yeah i think that's a great piece of advice patrick do you want to add anything well yeah sure um so i think at startup is about um it's really about having courage and learning to develop even more courage uh it's uh, it's quite an adventure but yeah, it's about uh, it's about courage, and along the way, you'll need more courage, and uh, and then at the end, there's success or uh, <laughs> developing even more courage. So, so yeah, it's yeah. one or the other, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today, and it was very interesting to learn about your journey. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being interested and for listening. It's, it's, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time, Laura. Really, really important for us. What I love about this story is that I feel like I got to interview the founders at a time where they're in the middle of this turning point. They just got funding and they're about to take some major steps to launch their product into the public eye. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing what they accomplish. And for everyone who's listening, thank you very much. Until next week.